for this morning. It's found in Mark chapter 8. You can follow along in your Bible if you'd like, or it will also be on the screen. And we're reading verses 34 through 38. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for you to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? If any of you are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. That ends the reading. Please be seated. Well, again, my name is Pastor Dave, and uh, welcome this morning. We are so glad that you're here with us. We have been doing a series, and we've been working our way through the book of Mark. The book of Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels, um, the stories that are written about Jesus in his time on earth, and it's the most action-packed. And so we've titled it, On Your Mark, Get Set, Go, because it's this action-packed Gospel. Stuff's happening and happening, and Last week we talked about how Jesus went to the disciples. They're actually kind of together and he's got just his 12 disciples around and he asked them, you know, who do people say that I am? And this is the first time when Peter, you know, Peter's the disciple that always kind of puts his foot in his mouth. He always blurts out whatever the first thing he's thinking is. And he says, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. And he, he got it right. Jesus said, you're right. But the problem is Peter still didn't understand because Peter thought that the Messiah was going to come and rescue the Jewish people from Rome. And Jesus says, no, I'm here for a whole other purpose. I'm not here to be a leader in that sense. I'm not here to conquer Rome. I'm not here to bring glory to the disciples and myself. I'm here to sacrifice my life. I'm here to come and suffer and die. And now... Just as all of that has happened, Peter's so upset about this. He says, no, Jesus, that can't be what you're here for. Just as all of that is going on, now Jesus kind of pulls aside again. His disciples in a crowd, and he gathers them. And this is a calling that he's issuing, right? He issued a calling back at the beginning of the book when he called the disciples. And he said, hey, come follow me, you fishermen, you tax collectors. Whatever you're doing, put that aside and come follow me. Be my disciples. And now he's issuing a second call. And this is a call to discipleship, and it's a call for all of us. Right? There are certain calls in our life that are more significant than others, and we sort of know that, right? Anyone ever get in trouble when they were a kid? I mean, everyone's hand should be up. I got a congregation full of liars here. All right. Got to change my sermon. All right. Right, and did you ever get this when you were a kid? Like I did, well, not that I got in trouble, but I got this occasionally. David, Simeon, Franklin, did you ever get that one? The full three names? Right, you knew that was a serious call. Like that's different. Or I remember, you know, when I was a kid, I would go outside kind of the way that it would go is I'd get home from school and immediately you you just go outside. It's not like today, you know, kids stay inside. You have to like make them go outside. It was the opposite when I was a kid. It was like we would go outside and you had to come in. And and for me, it was when my dad would whistle. As soon as I heard that whistle, 
I knew that was a serious call. That meant get your butt home for dinner. That's what that meant. And sometimes I would not hear the first one. If I heard that second whistle, which, which could be, I, I actually tested this. It could be heard from 1.7 miles away, all right? Once I heard that second whistle, that was a serious call. Like, I had like 45 seconds to get home. Or there was going to be, you know, some severe consequences. Or maybe if you're a parent, right? If you're a parent, there's a difference between mommy, 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 right? We've all got that one before. And mommy! Right? There's a difference in calls. And this is a very significant, very serious call that Jesus is issuing. And so what I want to do is I want to take just a few moments this morning. I want to unpack this scripture and look a little deeper at it. And then I think there's some very real and practical application for me and for you that we can take away with this. So let's dig into this text a little bit. Jesus is issuing, once again, he's issuing a call to follow him. Okay? Verse 34 is the call. In verse 34, Jesus issues the call. The following three verses, he gives us kind of four reasons why we should take the call. Why we should. So he starts out with the call in 34. He calls to the crowd to him and with his disciples. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. Right? He's telling you what he wants us to do. He's saying, you want to be my disciple? Deny yourself. Take up the cross, follow me. Let's break this down a little bit because the New Testament originally is written in Greek. And Greek is a very different language than English. And the reality is when he says the words in red here, when he says, if you want to be my disciple and follow me, it's really the same Greek. What he's actually saying here, if we translated this more accurately, we would say, whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves, take up the cross and follow me. We just wouldn't say that in English. That's why they write it out in different ways. But he's basically saying, you want to follow me? Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. So he's saying, follow me twice. That's the key point he's making. Follow me. And then when he says, deny myself, deny yourself, excuse me, and take up the cross, he's actually just saying one other thing. He's just saying the opposite sides of the coin. Okay? Verse, basically when he talks about Bearing your cross, he's saying, do things you don't want to do. Which is the same as denying yourself. Now, cross-bearing for the early Christians would have been a very, very literal thing that he was calling them to do, right? Jesus had just told his disciples that he was about to die on the cross. He didn't didn't tell them the way, but he said he was going to suffer. He was going to be humiliated. He was going to die. And they're like, no, Jesus. Peter says, no, you can't do that. And for the early church, this was very practically what was going to happen. In the early church, as Christians gathered, they were persecuted. Rome didn't like them. In fact, they had to keep what they did secret. Has anyone ever seen like the little, what they call the Christian fish on the back of someone's car? Or somewhere you know where that comes from? It comes from the early church. What would happen is, if I was a Christian, I would walk up. And I would draw half the fish in the sand. Just one curve to here. And if you were a Christian, you would make the rest of the fish. And I'd be like, oh, secret handshake. We're in the same club. And we would know that it was safe to talk. That we were followers of Jesus. Because 
quite literally, the disciples, they were put to death. Early Christians were put to death. They were forced to battle each other. They were, they were attacked by lions. Many were crucified on crosses. So for them, taking up their cross is a literal thing that you might be called to do this. Now for us, it's much different, right? None of us is going to, if we go outside and say, yeah, I'm a Christian, we're not going to get killed for that. We're not going to be crucified on a cross. But cross-bearing also means several things. Number one, it means opposition. It means that we're going to be opposed. Quite literally, they were opposed by Rome. It means suffering. This was thought to be the most painful way that you could be put to death. Dying on the cross, it wasn't about the nails in your hands. It was literally that that you would suffocate because you couldn't raise yourself up to breathe. I can't imagine a more painful or horrifying way to die. And it was shame. You were stripped naked. You were mocked. And ultimately it led to death. And so when Jesus is saying this, he's saying, listen, all these things are possibilities. Anyone want to sign up for that so far? Anyone like opposition, suffering, shame, and death? No, right? No one wants to sign up for that. And so that's why he gets into this. He says, oh, excuse me. Verse 35, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. All right, Jesus is getting a little confusing, right? He says, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you want to lose your life, you're going to save it. He's talking about opposites. And literally what he's saying here is is to deny yourself is the opposite of what you want to do. And the Bible talks about how we have two selves. We have this old self. And the old self, before Jesus changes our life, our old self is ruled by selfishness. It's a slave to sin. It's I want to do everything that makes me happy, that pleases me, that builds my kingdom. The old self wants acceptance. It wants comfort. It wants glory. It wants life. The opposite things of opposition, suffering, shame, and death. But Jesus says, put on the new self. Your identity in Christ. Who you are in Christ. It's a little sticky here. All right. Verse 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Very specifically right now, I believe that Jesus is talking to Peter, right? Peter has just told him he's the Messiah, but Peter's also opposed him and said, Jesus, you can't suffer. You can't die. You have to be the one that rescues us from Rome. He's specifically talking to Peter. He's challenging Peter, but he's also challenging us and what it means to truly follow him. To successfully follow Jesus. And so how do we successfully follow Jesus? Well, I'm going to talk about four points right now. Four things that I think we need to do. But ultimately, what it comes down to is it's replacing our selfish desire with the desire that God would have us have. Right? Science actually teaches us that it's easy to make, easier to make radical changes than it is to make little changes. It's actually easier, scientifically, to make a radical change. Like, for example, let's say that, um, let's say that you eat four 
bowls of ice cream every night like my grandfather does, right? All right, let's say that that's you. It's actually scientifically easier just to, to stop eating ice cream than it is to cut down to three. It doesn't make sense, but it is. And so Jesus is calling us for a radical change. He's saying replace the old self, replace the desire for acceptance with who you are in Christ. We all have this natural built-in desire for acceptance. I know as long as I've been alive, it's been a struggle for me, right? We want desperately to be accepted. I blame it um, uh, just on the fact that we naturally have this built-in selfishness. We want to be accepted. We want people to like us. I, I remember back when, um, when I was in high school and uh, my uh, sophomore year, I transferred from a private school to Boca High and I was now at Boca High. And Boca High had an amazing baseball team, nationally ranked baseball team. They were really good. And I, and I wanted to just be associated with that team. Baseball was my love and passion, but more than anything else, I just wanted to be associated with this group of guys. I wanted the acceptance and esteem and whatever that came with that. The reality was it, was, it was a group of dirtbags. I'm just making sure none of you are here. Phew. All right. Because back then, the baseball team at Bogai was way tougher than the football team. These were the thugs. I mean, seriously. They were good at baseball, but they were not good people. But I still wanted to be associated with them. Why? I didn't like any of them. Because I wanted to be accepted desperately. Right? We all have that built into us. And Jesus says, take that old self, that, that desire for acceptance, and replace it with who you are in Jesus. Jesus tells us that we're his children. We're his heirs. He calls us a royal priesthood. He refers to us as a holy nation, a chosen people. Right? Some people are so desperate for acceptance that I've heard they'll dress up as almost anything. They just want to fit in. It's really embarrassing. I don't even understand it. But they'll dress up as like almost anything just to be accepted, right? And Jesus says, no, don't worry about acceptance or popularity or any of that. You are mine. Do you understand how significant that is? The creator of the universe, the man that loved you so much he died for you, he says, you are mine. He puts his stamp on us. It's like in Toy Story when Andy writes Andy, right? On the, on the uh, what's the toy's name? But, not Buzz, the other one. Woody, thank you. I'm getting old. All right. Writes it on his shoe. That's his. That's what Jesus does with you. He says, you're mine. And we don't have to worry about being accepted by others because we're accepted by the most important person in the universe, Jesus. So we replace acceptance with our identity in Christ. We replace comfort with mission. Our natural tendency, right? We all want to be comfortable. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be comfortable. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be acceptance. It's when those things drive us and they're our driving force that we get in trouble. And Jesus says, listen, leave what makes you most comfortable and go on this mission that I've called you to. And this is, this is where I've got to take a moment and just say, I know Pastor Andy feels the same way, but just how proud I am of this church. How very proud I am of this church. Because I will say, the thing that you guys do so well is love people. 
You truly do. Whether it's in the courtyard after church or at the auction last night or any event we have, the way that you love each other is outstanding. The way that when someone's hurting or sick or has lost a loved one, the way that you gather together and come around that person and love them is amazing to me. The way that you will go out into the world to places like India and Haiti and all over and love the people there, that's amazing to me. I've worked at several churches. Guys, you're awesome at this. And oftentimes it's putting your own comfort aside, right? I'm sure it wasn't the most comfortable thing for Pastor Andy and Susan to go to Bangladesh. I mean, I'll I'll be honest, the outfits look pretty comfy. But other than that, I mean, I, I saw pictures of the food and I was like, I don't think I could do that. You know, and I'm looking at, I remember the first time I, you know, going on missions trips and you go into foreign countries and you look and it's just, it's not comfortable. It can be awkward. It can be intimidating. But Jesus says, replace your own comfort with this mission. I've called you. I've called you to love people. I've called you to share my love with the world. Last week, we handed out these door hangers and we said, if you've got take these door hangers and go to a door. You don't have to knock on the door. In fact, please don't. Just hang it on there. The door hanger says, we prayed for you. And tells them a little bit about our church. That could be uncomfortable for some of you. Maybe you're walking up to the door and you're like, man, I really hope someone doesn't see me. What if they do open the door? Ah! Might have to talk to them. Right? That could be incredibly uncomfortable and yet still balance that with the fact that God has called us to love each other, to love the world. And so he says, go. He says, go. Get out of your comfort zone. The call to discipleship is one to say, leave your com- what's comfortable and go and share God's love with the world. He says to replace glory with God's glory. Right? Right? We all have a a built-in desire for glory. We want attention. We want fame. This, I blame on our kindergarten teachers. I do. Right? It all started when you just colored the worst flower in the world and your teacher put a star or a smiley face on it. Right? And you're like, this is awesome. Look what I did. And you might not even be thinking about it, but now we want glory, right? We want attention. We all, we all have that built-in desire. And yet God says, put that selfish desire for glory aside and give glory where glory is due to God. I think despite where your alliances may lay in terms of rooting for football, I think we can all acknowledge that a person that has done this incredibly well is Tim Tebow, right? And I know I, I'm already looking at some Seminole fans, and they're like. But I think we can acknowledge, right? I mean, he's won a Heisman Trophy. Heck, he's been a professional athlete, you can argue, not very successfully, in two sports, right? If anyone deserves a little fame or glory, it's Tim Tebow, right? And yet, every chance he gets, who does he give the glory to? God. Every time he gets in front of a microphone, You don't know exactly what he's going to say, but you know it's going to be something about God. You know it's going to be something about mission. You know it's going to be something about the creator of the universe or or a 
a project that he's doing in the Philippines or something. He's going to use every opportunity to not seek his own glory, but to seek God's glory. And that's the call to discipleship. That's what we're called to do. It would be very easy, instead of him taking a knee when he got a touchdown, it'd be very easy for him to do what many of the other players do. Hoo-hoo! Right? Spike the football. Look at me. Point at the stands. You know? And yet every opportunity, it's pointing at God. Because he's the one that truly deserves glory. Finally, we've got to replace clinging to our own life with living our life out for God. And this, one, this one's hard, right? We, we obviously, we all want to live. It's a built-in, we have built-in self-preservation. And again, that's not wrong. But I think this is best epitomized by the Apostle Paul. As he writes in the book of Philippians, there's a famous verse. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He goes on to unpack that and explain it a little bit. But, but basically the situation is this. Paul is in jail. He's in jail and he's facing execution. He's probably going to be put to death. And as he's in this, he starts writing. He's writing this letter because he wants to get the word out about this. And it would be very easy for Paul to say, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. Free me. Give me a fair trial. It would be easy for Paul to beat his chest and demand justice. But instead, Paul says this. Listen, if I live, my life is dedicated to Christ. But if I die, if I'm put to death, so much better. Because if I'm put to death, I get to be with Jesus forever. And that's hard. But that's the very attitude that's at the heart of discipleship, which is this. Picking up our cross is not the same as picking up the cross that Jesus did, right? Because Jesus picked up the cross for us, he died for each and every one of us. Because of his incredible love for us, he poured out grace to us so we can have a relationship with him. And that's a beautiful thing. And so he says, I'm doing this. He just got done telling us what he was going to do. I'm doing this. So what I'm asking you to do is now live your life for me. I died for you. Can you live your life for me? That's the call to discipleship. Not to cling to our own desires and our own acceptance and our own security and our own comfort and our own glory. But to say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And I know that means going on mission. I know that means suffering my own comfort sometimes. I know that means following your way instead of my way. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us this morning from Mark. Father God, I pray that you would give all of us the grace to follow your call to discipleship. Father God, may we just be so overwhelmed with your incredible outpouring of love for us on the cross that we could not help but share that love with the world. 
Love is why we're here, God. Help us to share your love. In your precious holy name we pray. Amen. Stand up as we continue.